Hey, welcome to Textual Healing. I'm your host, Mallory Smart. In this episode, I got a chance to speak with Lee Matthew Goldberg yet a second time. He is an absolute fucking legend, a writing machine who just can't stop churning out novels, loves rad music, 90s music specifically, total textual healer, and is going to tell us more about his latest book and some writing that he has in the works. We get down to his writing process, touch back on his music tastes, and how he manages to develop such unique characters in his writing, each having their own adventures and vibes and music tastes. It's pretty impressive. We even get a bit into what it's like to have your book optioned and weird celebrity moments that we've both experienced. Before the show, I'd like to share that Textual Healing is now offering merch. Show us that you too are a textual healer by checking out our swag and leaving us a rating on Apple Podcasts after the show. But for now, enjoy this fun chat with Lee Matthew Goldberg, which is beyond fun. Okay, so this is really fucking exciting. You're probably, I think, the only author who's been on the show twice. Welcome oh, back. okay. Wow, that's an honor, definitely. Yeah. Thank you for having me again. <laughs> Do you want to reintroduce yourself? Uh, sure, yeah. Um, I'm Lee Matthew Goldberg. Uh, I'm the author of nine novels. Um, my newest, Vanish Me, uh, just came out a couple weeks ago, uh, and it's the third book in my YA Runaway Train trilogy. Uh, about a girl in the 90s who runs away from home to be a grunge singer. I am so happy you reminded me because I so did not remember who the fuck you were. That was a joke. (laughs) (laughs) Totally fair. No. um, When you came on, we were talking about Runaway Train before. Can you tell us a little bit more about Vanish Me? Sure. So uh, Runaway Train is the first book in the series. um, And in the third book, Vanish Me, um, it actually takes place mostly about the main character's daughter. So it takes place more in present time. Uh, and the daughter finds the journals of her mom. Uh, her mom has gone missing and she uses her mom's old journals to kind of discover where she possibly went. So it's a little more of like a thriller vibe, uh, than the other two. Um, but the cool thing is she re-meets everybody from the first two books. They're just about 20 years older. That sounds really awesome. I kind of wanted to add like a dun dun dun. I'm mostly a thriller writer, so the the YA books are a little out of my realm. Um, so I was ready to get back to thriller writing um, and wanted to add that into the last one. Yeah, I really like it. I like the Thank cover you. too. It oh, obviously awesome. fits. I'm assuming you use the same cover artist with the all books. So it was actually my editor of the books, Rachel DeGrasso, um, who. Uh, She's now left Wise Wolf, but she was there at the time. Um, and she did the cover designs for all of them. Yeah, she really did great. I mean, shouts out. Yeah, shout out, Rachel. I like saying shout out. Some people are like snaps, and I'm like, no, no. Um, I feel like my feels generation like Glee Club more, or something. Yeah, my generation was more shout out. Snaps seems a little foreign to me. It is. I mean, I was hanging out with my high school niece the other day and like I was saying like a positive thing and she's like, oh, my God, snaps. And I was like, what? What are you (laughs) talking about? (laughs) Yeah, I feel like I probably know no current lingo. My lingo is all probably from the 90s, honestly. I've kind of given up. I think the first time I had you on the show, I was like still kind of this is going to sound the most really weird adult thing with it. I was kind of okay. with it then. 
Yeah, so you've fallen off basically in the last year or so. Yeah, that shit changes so quickly. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I agree. You, you know, if you're not like in it, you lose it. Exactly. So I, I'm just on Twitter using the same old shit with my friends being like, yeah, it was really lit. And my niece is I mean, like, we don't lit see works. lit anymore. <laughs> yeah, but who says? Who makes these rules? Like, if you want to use lit, it's your prerogative. It's your life. Use it. I was going to say, like, I've heard lit in, like, old movies and everything. That has obviously been a thing that people have said for, like, decades. Maybe centuries. Yeah. Who knows? It could potentially be centuries. Like, in the 1700s, they were saying it to one another in their wigs and everything. I want to imagine, like, the Salem witch trials and them being like, holy shit, it was totally lit that we just, like, burned that witch over there. Yeah, but then they're like, oh, actually, it is lit. <laughs> exactly. Whoops. It was literally lit. Are bad. Somebody needs to do like a Salem witch trials, but update it with like current sayings. Um, and then, yeah, you could use lit in it. Oh my God. That person would so not only be invited on the podcast, but like I would want them to be my best friend. <laughs> All right. If I have some time carved out, I'm going to write that book. I've been in a really weird witchy mood because I've been getting into old music I was into when I was younger. Mm-hmm. And um, a lot of it is Fleetwood Mac and Stevie Nicks and uh, stuff. I love Fleetwood Mac. The yeah. best. The absolute best. I'll go in phases where I'll like be like, oh, Fleetwood Mac, and then it'll be for like weeks. And then we need a break, and then I go back to them. I feel like I cycled them out for years, and then suddenly yeah. like they're just back on. And if anyone follows my Spotify, which is really weird, because I didn't really pay attention that when you add friends to Spotify, they could see what you're listening to. Which oh, makes really? Sense. Yeah, that does make sense. I don't think I go that far in Spotify, but that's good to know. But yeah, they can see what you're listening to. So I even got a message and someone's like, you, you get it back into Fleetwood Mac? You really into that? And I was like, <laughs> how the hell do you know? They're like, you have been listening to the same song on repeat over and over. That's a little creepy. It's like, I don't, I don't know if I want people to know everything I'm listening to because every once in a while there's a guilty pleasure that like nobody needs to know about. It's like my secret. I want to listen to it. Like, I know it was really awkward that last year with Spotify, they have like the Spotify wrapped and yeah. Backstreet Boys was on mine. And I, I was just like, oh, God, I cannot share this. Yeah. But then at the same time, like if that's what made you happy, then that's great. You know, like who's to judge what is cool music and not cool music? It's just like we all have our nerdy pleasures and like I'd like to really yeah. push that. It was not originally my CD that I got. It was my mm. older brother's. Okay. Okay. So, so we're just so breaking cool gender rules and all of it. Yeah. yeah. That makes sense. And, you know, I am not the biggest fan of Battery Boys, but that one song, sure. I mean, what, what would the equivalent of the Backstreet Boys be for you? New Kids on the Block? Yeah, generation-wise, yeah. Were you into anything of theirs, or were you totally like, ugh, they're no, so poppy? I mean, yeah, I mean, this is horrible to say, but I remember I was like 9 or 10, and I was like, that's for girls. You know, it was a different time, where now maybe it would have been more like, no, listen to it, it's okay. But I remember being very like, the girls like that, that's not for me. Um, but I had my own, you know, embarrassing stuff, I'm sure. That I listen to. I mean, I, I love anything sort of retro. So, like, give me like the '80s music, 
Um, obviously, I wrote three books about grunge music, so like I love old grunge music. Um, and even now, I have my own embarrassing things. Sure. I feel like we should go a little bit into a deep session. What are, what's your embarrassing music? I'm trying to I'm trying to think like what? Let me let me let me okay, ask another question. Let me ask bring up my question. Spotify. I know that's what I love. Just got to start deep searching. To? Um okay. Well, I know that your heart lives in grunge rock. You're definitely yes. Seattle obsessed. Um <laughs> sorry to say. No, it's true. It's very true. How old were you again when you got into it? I probably was like 13, 14 during the peak of it. So um, you were at the prime. I was prime, yeah, yeah. I mean, I remember I was very much into like hip-hop when I was, I don't know, 12, 13. And then grunge kind of came along and it, it, it like switched. And I just loved Nirvana and Pearl Jam and Smashing Pumpkins. And, you know, it, it, was, it, was, an, it was a good era to like, get into music um, because I think the music's good. And then when I was thinking about writing a YA series um, and I was talking with my agent about like, you know, what people were looking for. um, I kind of was like, I really don't know what kids are like now. So I I feel like it's going to be really hard to write a book about kids in, I mean, when I wrote this 2018, 2019 um, and they were like, well, what about the nineties? And I was like, yeah, yeah, I know the 90s. I could do that. Um, and I feel like it's been a complete split between readers. If people my age and every, every once in a while, like a 15 or 16-year-old, it's like, oh, I like this, this music too. Um, so I, I think it's been good for um, getting people into like, the nostalgia factor of it. I've noticed that there are a lot of like Gen Z kids that are into like our music. I'm a group, you and I together. Because yeah, I, I, sure. I love Gen X music and everything. So they're mm. definitely getting into our shit. Not yeah. just music, movies too. I went to go see Scream the other day. And oh, how was it? I, I'm torn. I think I need okay. to see it again. <laughs> the last one, I don't remember being amazing. I liked it eventually. See, mm-hmm. and that's why I'm torn. Like, yeah. like, maybe I will eventually like it. Because sometimes you just need to watch it over and over. But what was weird was I was expecting a lot of people like my age or like much older, like say your age. Mm-hmm. And much older. Exactly. Like say like your generation, like because it originally came out, what, like 1997 maybe? About, I, yeah, yeah. I was, I remember I was like starting college. So yeah, that was around when it came out. Yeah. So I was just like, I, I was expecting your crowd because this was the first Scream movie I actually saw in theaters. Yeah, okay. And instead, it was all, like, teenagers. And I was like, who the fuck are all you? Like, <laughs> well, I feel like it's, like, a kind of a teen movie. So for them, it's, like, getting a new generation, like, into it with some of the nostalgia factor. Like, I'm sure, like, they brought back Courtney Love. Not Courtney Love. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I have all my talking points right. Courtney Cox and um nev campbell and you know like all the original cast that like made it through Mm -hmm. um but yeah i mean that ever was really big for teen movies there was like a sweep of a ton of them i think in the success of screams some good and some absolutely horrible um but all of a sudden it felt like oh okay we're being courted a little bit 
Like mm-hmm. the advertisers like us and they're 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 trying to reach us somehow. What would you say is like the absolute absolute terrible? The worst one. Um, I mean, I, 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 the first one that popped in my head, I don't know if it was that bad, but it was that one, She's All That, where it was like this girl and <laughs> she had the glasses. One. So everyone was like, oh, she's a loser. And then she kind of... off the glasses. Yeah, Ooh. she starts dating, I think, like Freddie Prince Jr. or something was the actor at the time. And he's like, take off the glasses. You're beautiful. And she takes off and people are like, who is this girl? Where has she been this whole time? And I'm like, she took off her glasses. Like, she was a beautiful girl before. So that one probably is like the most ridiculous. It feels like a trope that's been done in movies. I wonder like what the first movie yeah. it was that like did the, she's really hot, but we're going to put glasses on her and she's like going to be such an outcast until we take the glasses off. I mean, it's hard because it's not like they could, you know, it's still like a movie that had to be made. It was in the 90s. They needed an attractive actress to, you know, so like it wasn't going to be where it was a complete transformation. But I remember seeing that and I was like, she's fine. (laughs) (laughs) Leave the glasses on. Um, And then there were some better ones. Like there was the one 10 Things I Hate About You, which was like the takeoff of um, Taming of the Shrew. Keith Ledger, like some of those are, I think were a little smarter and, and, you know, elevated it a little bit. I was going to say, you got to love 10 things I hate about you that it gave us Heath Ledger. <laughs> gave us Heath Ledger. And I went to school with Julia Stiles, who was the actress in it. And she was a couple of grades younger than me. And I remember when the movie came out, everybody just went nuts in the school. They were like, She's made it. She's huge. And she was really good in it. She's had a good career. I love it when I have people on here who actually know the celebrities. It's like, oh, yeah, tell me more. She would have no clue who I was um, because, again, I think she was three years younger than me. Mm -hmm. Um, But I remember, like, all her friends. We I went to a Quaker school and we had, like, announcements. Like, we had silent meeting and then people would make announcements. And I remember them announcing the movie. They're like, Julia Stiles is in 10 Things I Hate. It opens at the box office this weekend. Like, go see it. And we were like, all right. <laughs> that sounds really awesome. Dude, that's yeah, so it was lit. So I'm just going to say lit to that. that I would totally it was lit. go to school it was lit. with her. My favorite of all time teen movies, though, it's a late 80s film. Um, and that is Heather's. That is a perfect movie. From start to finish. And How did I know you were going to say that? I mean, it, it, it was like it was made for me. It was like, what would Lee love in a movie? Winona Ryder, check. Really fucked up shit, <laughs> check. Um, and the corn nut scene. Like, Perfecta. I, I shit you not. Like, as you were going to say it, I was like, Heather's, like, in my I head. I mean, it's such a brilliant classic. I used to... I had like an obsession with it at that age. So I think it came out. I was like really young to watch it. I was probably like 10. Um, And I had it on this also dates me, but VHS. Mm -hmm. And I would just come home and watch it like every day. I would just like come home, like see my friends, have dinner with my parents, (laughs) like watch Heather's and then like maybe do my homework. Like that, like that's a side possibility. Oh my god, I just watched that the other day though. I love it. I haven't seen it in a minute. Like I know you need to. 
up. Yeah, I mean, I, I've seen it recently enough, but it's probably been about five or six years. Um, but yeah, the the scene where Heather, the main Heather, dies drinking the Drano, and she says corn nuts and crashes into the table. <laughs> that always lives rent free in my head for for the rest of my life. I just love every aspect of that movie. It's weird when you get older, though, and you start, like, noticing parts of it, and you're like, that was a little fucked up. Like, or, like, I side with the teacher. <laughs> yeah, like, I feel like this character was a little in the wrong. What the hell? Yeah. I mean, I remember thinking, like, oh, like, um, JD, the Christian Slayer, I was like, hey, he's so cool. He's such a cool guy. And I'm like, yeah, he's a complete psychopath. <laughs> like, run. Run from him, Winona Ryder. Um, but yeah, I mean the scene at the end where like he blows up the school and it lights her cigarette, like I, I don't know, everything about that movie. It's just, just perfection. It's a chef's kiss. I know. It's a Winona, a Winona Ryder classic. I love her. I, I absolutely love her. And if I ever get to meet her, that will be a, a very fun day. I would just die. So I don't know if it's a fun day or a sad day, but <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's a few people I've met some celebrities in life and I've held my cool um there's a few people i think i don't know what i would do and i'm afraid for them more so um <laughs> winona Ryder, i think i'd be okay i think we'd be i think we'd be cool i always say that i'd probably like lose it if i'd say a celebrity i've met quite a few and i just don't say anything really yeah to them because i just keep thinking i'm just like there is a person they want to be left right. the fuck alone it always has to be, I mean, I, I've lived in New York City my whole life, so I feel like that's just been the way, like, on the street and stuff. It has to be organic. Um, otherwise, yeah, I don't like going up and being like, hey, I love you in XYZ, or I would never ask somebody. I once was with friends, and we were at a bar in the village. Um, this was pre-COVID, but, like, right before. Um, and Peter Dinklage from Game of Thrones was there. And my friend was like, oh, he's my favorite. Like, I have to go say something. I was like, do not say something. Leave him alone. <laughs> and he's like, no, I have to. I'm going to kick myself if I don't. And he goes over and he was like, hey, you're my computer. And just stopped him. He was like, nope. <laughs> <laughs> nope. <laughs> That's it. And I was like, respect. Respect, Peter Dinklage. <laughs> I love that. I had a friend who once stalked Alexis Bledel in an airport bathroom. <laughs> Lexless Bledel. Uh, from oh, Gilmore, Gilmore Girls. Girls. Gilmore Girls, yes. I yeah. know. Of all the yeah. random celebrities, like, she wasn't in any of, like, the new stuff she's in now, like Handmaid's Tale. Like, right, right. She was still, like, just Gilmore Girls. And I was just like, you stalked her to the bathroom? And she's like, yeah, I just wanted to kind of, like, go and accidentally bump into her at the mirror. <laughs> I was like, how the did fuck? It, did she or not like it? It seems like it was terrifying. Like, I feel so bad for yeah, Alexis that's too Bedell. much. That is far too much. That's too much. Like, I once was on a train, and I love um, Emmy Rossum from the show Shameless. Like, I've seen the entire show. Um, and we were, like, much together. I mean, it was, like, one of those train cars. And I was like, say something. Don't say something. Say something. And then the train cars opened, and she walked out. And I was like, wasn't meant to be. <laughs> Wasn't meant to be. It'll happen in life. Emmy Rossum, not at this moment. My biggest celebrity encounter, when I was a little kid, I was friends with um, Billy Crystal's daughter when we were very little. And he, like, came once. I had, like, a birthday party, and obviously she was invited. 
and he came and he was like a parent that helped you know it's like sometimes like the parent like gets involved and does stuff and he came the whole time and he gave me a nerf ping pong set and i used that ping pong set like until i was 18 like <laughs> i shit out of that and he was the nicest person and i also remember they lived in this beautiful brownstone um before i think they left and moved to la and they legit had a robot in their house and the robot brought you cookies so like you would tell the robot like go get the cookies and the robot would come on a tray and be like here you go (laughs) (laughs) and i was like wow these people are so amazing um yeah that's that was probably my biggest one yeah i don't think i've ever stalked any celebrities i did stop a friend from stalking and, and he's not even a big celebrity i don't know have you heard of the musician frank turner no He's actually really good. I would say really he's like probably mid-tier, like celebrity okay. style. Yeah. I mean, he like does folk punk. He's British. Uh, I mean, he does kind of like the middle, medium-sized venues. I mean, he's done some festivals, but nothing huge. I seriously had to stop my friend, though, like because he, he almost did it twice. My boyfriend and I both were just like, come on, no, we got to drag you yeah. away. <laughs> it's not okay. It's not okay. Like our friend like on the spot did an actual like drawing of him and was gonna be like, "Can you sign this?" Oh uh, wow! Like, no, back yeah, the fuck anything, away. <laughs> anything like extra, you know? Like I said, it has to be natural. Um, the cool thing that's happened with these books um, is an actress. She's on the show um, Young Sheldon. Her name's um, Reagan Reward. She mm-hmm. plays the sister on it. Um, she like loves the books, and she wrote me a blurb. We did like an interview about it. Um, and she was the sweetest, sweetest girl. Um, and we're, we're talking about maybe something bigger with the books with it. Um, so that's been great. Um, so shout out to Reagan. Hey, Reagan. Hey, that's lit. Very awesome. Yeah. Yeah. She's, she's like for her age, like I was not, I didn't even close to have my head on my shoulders at the age of 14. Like this girl has. I feel like they're smarter because they have the internet. Maybe. Like, they have so much more access to knowledge. Like, I don't know. I was getting very confused the other day because our internet, like, blocked off for a little bit. And I needed to find some information. And then I was like, how the fuck did I used to do this? Yeah, no, completely. It's like, especially even, like, I remember being very little and having to go to the library to do, like, a report, and you have to, like, take out all the books and, like, read all the separate books. And there's a lot of, like, waste in that to, like, find the actual quote you wanted. Where and you, like, you have to, yeah. like, do some, like, really weird shots in the dark of what you're going to look up Completely. and what book you're going to, like, get and hope to get the result there. Yeah, it's just so easy now. Um, but what's interesting with her, she, she's responding to the book so much because it's like a time before she was born. So she's not really into, I mean, she has social media, but she's a little, you know, not like obsessed with it. Like maybe some 14 year olds. And so her interest in the books is really like, Oh, that's so cool. Like they didn't have cell phones. They didn't have social media and they were able to just hang out and they weren't like bogged down by all this other stuff. Um, So that, that I think is what's helped this idea of, you know, kind of bringing in younger kids to kind of get interested in, you know, the music and everything too. Um, mm-hmm. Like she was asking me like, oh, what are some girl-fronted bands from that era? 
that I should get into. And I was like, oh, check out, you know, garbage and hole. And um, so, yeah, I mean, I think, I think, you know, you were, you opened the show talking about Fleetwood Mac, which was the seventies. And, you know, I think that always happens. It's like 20 years later, people get interested in that generation's oh, for big sure. hits and music. Yeah. But yeah, she's definitely like the age that you're kind of like marketing to. Not to completely. Sound a yeah, no, but. she's 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 sort of the perfect um, age. And then you know, for the people to like grow with the books a little bit. So like you know, the, the characters obviously go on journeys and have growth. Um, and you know, if somebody reads it like one book a year, where they began at fifteen versus where they ended at seventeen. And how much they change versus how much the characters change too. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was nice. I'm I'm good with young adult for a minute though. <laughs> I, I'm I I'm back to writing kind of gritty thrillers, which is more my cup of tea. I could see that. I could definitely see that. Yeah, they're just more f- like I really had to be so nice in these books. You have to be careful and, about what you're talking about too. Oh, completely, completely. Well, especially as like you know, a male writing in the voice of a 16 year old girl. Oh Uh, yeah. I didn't even think about that. Yeah. So I would say 98% of people responded well to that. And there was like a few, you know, like a Goodreads reviewer that was like, who does this person think they are? You know, and I mean, that person. Yeah, I mean, I I really try to be obviously as respectful as possible. And, you know, I lived that age. I wasn't a girl, but, you know, I lived as a teenager in that age. Um, And I kind of started it thinking, like, we had the same humor. So that's where I was able to develop the character. I was like, okay, she's sarcastic like me. And, you know, then we could sort of build, you know, from from there and you know i mean a lot of things translate like somebody having a first love and i mean a lot of these things are universal um but yeah there was there was you know obviously there's always going to be somebody who has like a little attack about anything you write um and these days i don't i really just don't care it's like have your opinion once you hit a certain age i've realized that you just stop giving a fuck what people say pretty much you know i mean if it was like a major reviewer 30 but yeah, yeah, that would yeah. hurt a big reviewer. I'd just be like, oh, god damn. Yeah, like Kirkus just reviewed the last one and they like had a nice thing to say and then it ended with like a mean thing. Ooh. And I was like, all right, whatever. It's all you- like, even if it's all good and they had like one sentence that's a criticism, it's always the criticism. Yeah, and and I've always been like that, where, like, I'll focus on the one negative as opposed to all the positives. Um, so that was a little, I was kind of a bummer, but it also is making me think, like, does anybody really care? Does the average person a, even know what Kirkus is? No. Be outside of, like, the publishing world. It, it doesn't really exist. So I'm able to use a pull quote from it. That's really all that matters. Like, I'm trying to remember, because we have to now think, like, this is young adult. Like, what did we look at when we were, like, trying to buy books? Like, what drew us? It was obviously, like, the cover, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Quick summary. Like, you have to have a quick summary, like a good one. Yes, 100%. Yeah, I mean, I guess, I mean, I think the, the thing that's stayed the same is that nothing is better than word of mouth. So, word of mouth, you know, before social media, with social media... Um, that's really what 
takes a book to the next level. A review, really nobody cares. I mean, you know, a New York Times book review, okay, that's different. You yeah, know, but that, kids aren't going to read that. No, and right, and kids aren't going to read that. And so the, the third book takes place, like, the first book is more grunge, and then the third book we're entering, like, Lilith Fair kind of territory. So it's, like, the later mm-hmm. 90s and all these singers like Jewel and Sarah McLachlan and whatever. Um, so one of their negatives was a character refers to her dress as Lilith Fair-esque. And they were like, how could a character refer to that if they just saw that concert? And I was like, first of all, that's the stupidest thing to bring up in a review. But that actually makes the most sense that the character went to the concert, had a dress that was like all the dresses that her idols were wearing and would refer to the dress that way. So I was like, that's the negative you're going to... I don't know. It was just like, it felt like it was written by a six-year-old. Also, I don't know about you, but I would do that. Like where I would just see something, I would just kind of pull it as like a new way to describe it. So I have a feeling a lot of times with a lot of these reviews, it's like they have to say something negative. So they're like, you know, oh, we got it. Now's the negative time for the review. Um, You know, and like, who are these people reviewing it? Like, uh, Like, who is this person? I don't know. You know, either they're on a good day, a bad day. I have to say, as a reviewer, it's very hard because, like, I always have to, like, write reviews. And I'm terrified of writing bad reviews. I hate it. I never like doing it. So, Well, I mean, fiction especially is so subjective that I kind of don't agree with, like, really bad reviews. If the book, you really just didn't like it, Leave it alone. It's like, like it just wasn't for you. It wasn't for you. I read a book recently. I'm not going to say what it was because, you know, I'm nice like that. Um, it was just not for me. Everybody else loved it. But I'm not going to shout it from the rooftops that I hated it because all these other people, it was like their favorite book and they loved it. And I was like, meh. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, that's the same thing like where like you asked if I liked Scream. I adore the original one and I think the second one is badass as fuck. But yeah. then as it gets a little it, further it on it starts to slip off after the second one. And it starts going towards different age ranges, which is interesting because the fourth one is my age range. Like that yeah. was directed yeah. towards me. Okay. Mm-hmm. But this one, like I, I remember thinking I was like, this is very much directed at Gen Z and I feel like they're ruining it. But like the whole part of me that was like same where it's like maybe it just wasn't made for me then. Like, it's just not my movie. Right. You know, yeah. and, like, for it to continue, if they keep making it, I think this one did quite well, you know, at the box office. So, like, they'll yeah, make I'm another one. Yeah, not a fan one. of that. Yeah, they already did. They uh, just signed they did, on to I'm another one. Greenlight. Yeah. And so it's like a new generation finds it. And, you know, I don't know, sometimes it's okay. It's like you, you kind of let it go. You know, by the time you hit the sixth movie, you're a little bit beating a dead horse. So... The expectations versus the reality, I think, you know, how great can it be? You've done the same thing how many times now? You know, it's not The Godfather. Even that didn't have six movies. Hey, didn't The Godfather just hit its 50th anniversary? Really? Wow, that's crazy. Probably, yeah. It was like the early 70s. I mean, that's another one. It was like the first two movies, amazing. The third one, not so much. Yeah, I... I (laughs) They actually talk about the Godfather in Scream. 
Really? Yeah. Oh, just talking about like trilogies and mm-hmm. you know yeah. how they do. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, you know, even the third one, I haven't seen it in so long, but I'm sure if you watched now, you'd be like, it's not that terrible. Some movies kind of get unfairly maligned, like everybody kind of just jumps on them, and it's like cool to hate that movie, where sometimes it's not that bad, and honestly, sometimes the best movies are the worst movies. They kind of form their own, like, you know, kind of amazing. Like, I'm going to jump up on it right now like we're it's popular to hate certain things and we all just say we hate it i'll just go for it i don't think nickelback was that bad of a band (laughs) yeah yeah no i mean am i like are they repetitive yes yeah but they had some good songs work for them Mm -hmm. you know i don't know i to me they fall into this like nickelback creed like they all kind of were the same and if i heard a song i would be like i'm not sure which one mm-hmm. sang it um but look they sold billions of records they're basically beloved in canada where they're from that's more than most people have done in life exactly you know like it's the love to hate credit. band but it's like yeah. yeah i think a lot of us secretly like it so I have no ill will. I, I, I'm more indifferent, let's say. Like, I, you know, I don't wish them any, you know, negative. I don't want anything bad to happen to them. Where I can't say that for everyone. <laughs> I was going to say, I'm trying to imagine if there's any musicians that I hope something bad happens to them. I mean, hope something bad would happen. No, that's horrible. But, yeah. like, just stop making music and never made it again and, like, went away. Okay. You know, like... Do I need more like Kanye West? I'm really okay in life, you know. We are on the same wavelength. <laughs> I I think the world is on that like wavelength. You like, know, you I immediately to... was like Kanye that jumped into yeah, my head the... as yes. you said it. <laughs> you know, sure, there's been some good music in the past that he's made. I'm not taking away from that. He's obviously talented. I he think obviously he has some mental, you know, issues that you know probably you know, unfortunately make him react and behave the way he acts. Um, But I don't need to hear from him anymore, ever. I'm good. I'm good in life. And also, mental health issues are a very valid um, explanation for strange behavior, but he seems to thrive off of being as controversial as possible. So I'm not even sure if it's always just the mental health. Yeah, like... There was the moment where he was like with Trump and my, you know, I was like, was that necessary? Did you need to do that? You know, like people already hated you. <laughs> and like, I'm not even a Pete Davidson fan, but I think I stand with everyone where I just be like, leave Pete Davidson alone. Leave him alone. Yeah, leave him alone. <laughs> Pete Davidson, obviously, for some people, is like crack. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's he did a, certain, a lot of crack. <laughs> I'm sure he did, but there's a certain celebrity that that's their crack. You know, like oh, like a like a famous woman. She's like forty. She's huge. She loves him because <laughs> he's like, dated. What like, is his appeal? I don't know. I mean, I think he's like. I'm sure he's got a great funny. personality. Maybe like I don't know. I think it's like I don't know. You know, like the shock value of it, mm-hmm. maybe. Um, or he's like kind of like a bad boy to some. Um, yeah, I don't quite understand, but yeah, I mean, if that's what floats, 
Kim Kardashian's boat. Sure. <laughs> it's just he's so skinny as a twig. I know everyone has their own taste. I just think it's hilarious that their entire magazine article is devoted to the mystery of Pete Davidson. <laughs> well, there was like a Saturday Night Live sketch, and it was like obviously everybody had the worst 2020 and 21 of their lives. Not except him. <laughs> yeah. Pete David, it was like an alternate reality. And it, it was like, he's living his best life ever. And it's true. You know, I liked his movie though. The King of Staten Island. Guy, yeah. That was really good. It was, it was funny. And like Marissa Tomei is in it. She could do no wrong. You know, that was a good movie. I just like, like when they're like joking around about his dad, I was just like, man, you got a thick skin. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, he, yeah, he was so young when his, when his dad died in 9-11, right? Um, I think you have to have a sense of humor ultimately in life about something like that. Like, I mean, What was the one joke? Like, knock, knock, who's there? Not your dad, bro. Oh, shit, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that, a lot of times it's like, if humor can't get you through the toughest times, like, what can, you know? Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, it's pretty cool that he he seems well adjusted. I mean, now at least. Yeah, and you know he's done well for himself. And honestly, like I find a lot of Saturday Night Live not funny. He's more funny than most on that show right now. You know, I don't really watch Saturday Night Live as much. I just kind of do like the weekend updates because I think those are funny sometimes. Yeah, yeah. There's moments, but it's it it's not the error of like. Kristen Wiig and, you know, Adam Sandler. And it, it, it's not quite at that level, I don't think, anymore. Don't you love watching the old skits and realizing how problematic it was? Oh, yeah. But that's like so many things now. Like, you watch it and you're like, ooh, that wouldn't have flown. Um, yeah, yeah, that there's no way that could happen. It, it's hard. I mean, you're watching it through a lens and, yeah. I mean, a lot of things have been kind of scrubbed from reality because of that. I mean, I'm trying to remember the one skit that Adam Sandler and Chris Farley did where, like, they're at a pool and then suddenly, like, they're just a bunch of gay guys. I think I remember that one. Yeah, like, we were watching it at Christmas because my brother is huge with Chris Farley. Loves him. I love Chris Farley was my favorite. Yeah, my whole family, big Chris Farley fans. And... We were just watching and laughing our asses off and then all realizing, like, <laughs> this would never fly today. Yeah. The one that still would, he and Adam Sandler would do this one where they were, like, an old married couple. Chris Farley was, like, the old wife. and Oh, yeah, Adam I remember Sandler. that. And they would, like, review Zagat's ratings. And Chris Farley was just so excited about everything. Like, he was, like, he wanted to go to the restaurant. And Adam Sandler would just, like, shoot it down. Um, and yeah, just the expressions he would make. Uh, yeah, I mean, he was somebody, unfortunately, taken too soon. He was definitely hugely, hugely talented. I'd say most of his comedy stands up to, I mean, you get yeah. the problematic shit, but I mean, you know, think of like Tommy Boy and everything. There is yeah, not I much mean, the only at all. Yeah, the, I mean, there's some like he's making fun of his weight in a lot of his comedy where somebody now would be like, Oh, it's fat shaming or something like that. But I don't know if you're in on the joke, like I always wondered if it counts, like if they're making fun of themselves though, I don't think so. I mean, I personally believe we're just too sensitive in general right now. It's like comedy is comedy. And 
some things can't fly anymore. I understand that, but you can't just live your life waiting to be offended at something. And then that's it. Like that, is that the world we really need to live in? You know, like just know what's completely wrong and, you know, behave like a nice individual. And, you know, yeah, because I feel like comedy is being destroyed a little bit in that sense. I mean, it's one of those things where it's almost like they treat it like, let's use Tommy Boy as an example. Like, we're just going to suddenly start using the fat jokes that Chris Farley used on himself towards other people. I'm going to say 90% of people are not going to do that. Right, exactly. You know, and I mean, it, it, it goes with this just like, immediately canceling something because somebody says something, you know, I mean, we're, we're humans. We make mistakes. We say things more important to like learn and grow from it than to just be, you know, there's people who were canceled and needed to be canceled, but I think we're entering this like fine line now where I don't like the mean well people and people are like getting off on canceling. Like, Oh, I saw this one tweet you wrote 10 years ago where you kind of said this one thing that was like kind of not okay. Done. I love how somehow Eddie Murphy has avoided being canceled. Yeah, that's true. Like <laughs> I was rewatching Raw the other day and I was oh, just like, yeah. "Oh my god." Yeah. Yeah. How did he not get canceled yet? Yeah, I mean, a lot of comics I've been more given a pass unless they did, you know, like, you know, you think somebody like Louis CK who like wasn't canceled for his comedy, he was canceled for something else, you know? Mm-hmm. So like, that's more the reason I feel like comics are a little bit getting passes for, for back in the day as they should. I mean, you know, it was a different time and like, I don't know. Funny is funny. Yeah, I feel like a lot of them apologize and they're like, Oh, I, I've totally. Learned. Yeah, like yeah, absolutely, time. and you know, I mean, like, I'm always self-deprecating. I feel like if you're able to laugh at yourself, that's you know, half the battle. I mean, it's the same thing though. Also, like with the music and everything that you list and everything, a lot of the grunge rock music and shit that would not fly today. A lot of like, oh bands. yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, there's like you know, misogyny in some of them, but anything that's new metal or shit. Right. Yeah. Like I went, I went this weekend. Um, I love the band. They were like a nineties band tool. Um, um, so I went to a concert in Jersey and that was an interesting crowd. Um, you know, we're like, nobody wore a mask. (laughs) In the entire, it was like me and my friends had masks at the end. <laughs> and I was like, all right, what are we going to do? <laughs> this is where it happens. This is where it happens. I mean, was it? I saw bleachers a couple months ago. Oh, I like bleachers, yeah. No one wore a mask. Actually, on his thing, he said, wear masks and we're checking COVID cards. None of that happened. <laughs> yeah. We just, like, it was raining, and everybody rushed into the venue. And mm-hmm. basically, as long as you're holding a beer, it's like, hey, you need to be able to drink your beer. You don't yeah, need Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, we are reaching this, like, kind of like, well, what's the best thing to do now? What should we do? I mean, I'm also just from, like, exhaustion from talking about it. It's like, I can't with COVID anymore. No. Um, but I know that's not how a disease behaves, like, because I'm annoyed with it. It goes away, <laughs> you know, like, you know, that's not the reality. But 
I'd say there are a fair amount of Americans who will disagree with you. Well, Anne was there two years ago where, you know, I mean, living here, living in Manhattan, everybody wore masks, wore masks and, you know, everybody behaved here for the most part. And I'm reaching this, you know, like in my building, I still have to wear a mask to walk past the door. Really? Yeah, you know, because it's like a doorman building and the people and, and that I'm like, okay, enough, like enough. And I got like talked to, you know, somebody was like, because I kind of had it like off on and they were like, make sure it's on. And I was like, <laughs> you know, like uh, but at the same time, I was that person before where I was like, make sure it's on, you know, so everybody reaches. It's like your breaking you know, point. Yeah, yeah. And I can't like, you know, I have, I know some people who still outside are wearing them. And I'm like, I don't think you need to do that. But if that's what makes you feel comfortable now, who might have say anything? Like, up it's until not up today, to that was me. Not during the summer, but just because it kind of yeah. gave the scarf effect. Totally. On like a really cold day, it actually is is good. But I don't know if I'm walking outside, it's like my freedom from it. You know, it's like yeah. a minute from me not having to wear it. Cause I'll, I, you know, going inside a, a store completely more so respect to like the people who work in the stores, like you me breathing on them. Um, but yeah, I will still wear 100% on the subway forever. <laughs> I will wear it anywhere people ask me to wear it. But here in Chicago, it is day one. The mask mandate has been dropped. Yeah, yeah. So on transportation too? Um, We have to wear it on transportation. Yeah, we're the same, yeah. But yeah, anywhere else, it's really just up to the business. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think that's okay at this point, like, you know. Definitely. Yeah, yeah. I I think that's, for, for me, I'm like, as long as you keep it for the, taking the subway right now is not my favorite experience in general. It's like... That's one thing that hasn't quite come back, you know, in these last two years in the way that I would like it to. Um, I feel so, like we, we call it the CTA and it's like yeah. it's been ghost trains for like oh, two really? years. Yeah. Really? People have been I mean, avoiding. it was here at the beginning. It's it's not 100 percent back to full ridership, but like you could be packed in a train now. Um, but, you know, there's like all these stabbings and people getting pushed on the tracks and like. It's kind of a mess right now. Um, it feels so, like it's kind of par for the course. Or is that just not a... Maybe we just do that in Chicago? Oh, really? <laughs> maybe I mean, we're just extra violent? I don't know. I think New York had a phase of, like, less violence for a minute. Like, thinking about the New York I grew up in, that was, like, the most violent, you know. So I almost was used to that. And then when it went away, I was like, where are the muggings? You know, like... Exactly. That's weird. <laughs> Like, I was mugged twice as a kid. Like, how has that not happened since, you know? Um, but there's an element now of, like, well, I mean, there's, people are, you know, it's winter. They're staying out of shelters and places like that. So there's more people in the subway system and the tunnels, like, living down there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there, there was a girl pushed and this one guy... He'd been out of the jail prison system like he had like 25 times. And like that's somebody who should not be on the street right now. He obviously has issues. Yeah. And you almost are setting it up, you know. 
Um, so now you, you know, you really see people like against the wall, like when they're waiting for the train and not like leaning over and seeing if the train is coming like that, I would not do. That's just kind of Chicago protocol. We, 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 yeah, I mean, here it's like, I think old school New York protocol, like I never did, but you know, like somebody moves in and they're like, Oh my God, I love New York. And then they're like leaning over (laughs) looking for the train. You're like, you just got here yesterday. Like you stupid idiot. You know, I haven't been to New York in a while, but don't you guys have like a like a line like where it shows like not to cross? Yeah, but it's, you know, it's like a yellow line. I mean, you know, that's not going to and maybe it's like raised a little bit like there's like a tiny little bump on it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, no, it's not. You still see people doing that because people are impatient. They're like, when is the train coming? So if I if I go and look for it, that means it's going to come faster, <laughs> even though. There's, you know, like electronic signs that say like three Five minutes. Five minutes, minutes. And yeah. Yeah, like every station has that now. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, you're, you really see people now like, you know, I, w- I was on the train the other day. I was going to Brooklyn and it was just after the Omicron wave. So like I didn't, ha- didn't take the train during that because I was like, why? Um, and I don't need it to commute. And the train was so busy and I had my mask on. It was freezing. So I had like a giant hood. And I just, like, closed the hood around my face. <laughs> so, like, I, I almost didn't exist. I had headphones in, and I was like, I don't want to be here right now. And, I, it, you know, it was, like, the perfect way to, like, shut off from the train system. That is, like, the best way to relate to your younger audience. They love doing that. Go on. Yeah, I, I, I was, like, 16 again and, like, you know oppressed where <laughs> I was like annoyed. Um, and I mean, it was busy. It was the first, because I don't use it to commute. So I rarely take it during rush hour. It's like the first rush hour train I had taken in a minute, um, just to go see my buddy in Brooklyn. I was like, I don't know if this was worth it. Um, but then at the same time, like there's very little now that I haven't done. I'm kind of just like, eh, let's just do everything. The world's kind of back. Happens. Yeah, like, I don't know. I haven't gotten it yet. So, like, something I've done has worked well, obviously. Yeah, we're definitely doing all right. I mean, we caught it right away, my oh, yeah. and I. But I, I still tell you, like, I didn't know I had it at first. My doctor mm. was very confused, and it was definitely an interesting experience. I still like seeing my doctor because he's always excited. He's like, you were my first patient. Yeah, <laughs> you were the you were patient zero for it. I know. I was. He was like, "You're kind of like the guinea pig. I had to try everything on you." And I was like, "Thank you. I really appreciate yeah, that." Yeah. No, I mean, you potentially helped out future patients that came to him. I also potentially like spread the hell out of that disease. Maybe, but you know, we all probably. I mean, like, Let's look at I'm the sure positive I though. It. I like that yeah. you went straight optimism. Right. Absolutely. I'm sure I had it at some point and it was just such a nothing to, for my body at that moment that it didn't register, but maybe I spread it. Who knows? We'll have years of stuff trickling in where we learn about this, these last couple of years and we're like, Oh, okay. That was interesting. Didn't know that. See, okay. I'm excited for those young adult books. Mm, there's going to be, I feel like I actually was just reading this morning there's an article about like that that'll be like a genre now. It'll be like the COVID books. Yeah. Where I'm like, I have zero interest in writing about anything COVID. 
oh, well, you're not going to be writing it like 10 years from now or whatever, whenever you have kids, you're just going to have to be like, and this was this and that. And then be like, oh, my yeah. God, was life really like that? And you're just going to have to be like, yeah. sadly. Yeah. yeah, it was. You know, I don't know. I feel like as Americans in the span that we've lived, we kind of have had it easy up until now, like in terms of like major horrible things happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think you can get out of a full life without a really terrible thing happening. So hopefully this was it. And we're hopefully. Good. I don't think so. I think like when we're elderly, we're going to see some real fucked up shit. I will say like between Gen X and millennials, we've kind of witnessed some fucked upness. So yeah. yeah. I mean like, you know, we didn't go through world war two and I mean, there's elements of fucked upness that, yeah. We didn't, you know, like, but I think climate stuff when we're elderly will really be, we'll see the beginning of the end. <laughs> um, we will no. literally be living in the day after tomorrow. I think that we'll see certain places that we used to be able to go to that nobody is living in anymore mm-hmm. when we're elderly. You know, like Phoenix. Oh, God. I think that will be a, like an old tale. <laughs> like of one day a lot of old people would retire and go to yeah. Phoenix. Or people will live there and nothing will be outdoors. So it'll just be like interconnected. It'll be like a huge mall. That'll be Phoenix. You know? Like a little dome over everything. Yeah. Or like I love like, you know, in where I live, like towards like Montauk, like that area. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know about that. Like, if you're investing in a house in Montauk, thinking in 40 years from now if it'll be there, I don't know if that's the best investment. See, like, as a writer, doesn't it scare the hell out of you that, like, maybe you might write something like this in your book and it might actually be accurate? So I'm working on a dystopian novel now. It's uh, the sequel to um, my book, Orange City. And it's, like, as dystopian as it gets. Um, and I, I just felt like it was a perfect time to write it. Like I was in that kind of mood for it. Um, although that has some stuff I really hope does not happen. There's like some robot stuff that's not good. But I feel like, yeah, like we're entering that era. So like maybe like 30 years from now, who knows how fast shit's going to change. We don't know. Yeah. What, what are you going to do when you're like, oh my God, I predicted this. Well, I feel like that's happened to sci-fi writers from 30 years ago. Yeah. You know, with like the internet kind of predicted that and, you know, obviously the benefits, but also negatives connected to something like that. Um, Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of sci-fi winds up coming true, unfortunately. So, yeah, I really hope that my book's called Lemon World. I, I just, I... I fear for us if that's where we're headed. Um, so, yeah, hopefully not. But it's been fun to write. Yeah, like, we love imagining the fucked up future. We just don't want to live in it. Right, exactly. And it was working on this, like, during the pandemic, it was almost like then you'd come back to our reality and you'd be like, not so bad. You know, so it was almost like a relief to work on something where things are worse. You know, it's fascinating because it's like, such different moods like that in the young adult novel 
and we're going to bring this back to music. Like, what did you listen to then during the dystopian? Because it couldn't have been the same shit. I feel like I listened to some Tool. Yeah. Yeah. Tool. I was listening Are to a like lot. Are you like a repeat listener who just listens to the same thing over and no. over? No. And I usually don't really write to music that much. Um, this, because the, the, the dystopian moves in like a very like robotic kind of direction. So I was listening to a lot of like, um, like Sigoros and I don't know, like weird trippy kind of music was working with this, with this book. Um, so it wasn't, it really wasn't tool. It wasn't like hard anything. Um, yeah, it was like the weirder, the better, um, help me for this. Cause the book is really weird. It has like a David Lynchy kind of feel. Um, so yeah, it, and, and the first book was weird, but the second book is even weirder. Um, uh, so I have yeah, to I recommend kinda... like a really good band that I think might Please, fit. Yes. Power Plant. They're a synth okay. punk operation. They're really yeah. cool. That would, okay. It sounds Power trippy Plant. as hell. Okay. That would, yeah, that would be perfect. Cause yeah, I, I found that really helped inspire me. And I, 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 I was like, usually like I, books really inspire me when I'm writing for this one. Not as much like art wound up inspiring me more. Um, for this like pop art and um and kind of like weird stuff like that um i felt like helped a lot francis bacon i was inspired by a lot for like the villain characters mm-hmm. uh, yeah i dig it mm-hmm, mm-hmm. lit <laughs> lit that is so lit but yeah i imagine you kind of like almost like in a dark cd basement listening to like synth and everything writing yeah, not quite. I mean, I write in Central Park when the weather's nice, so I'm, like, surrounded by beautiful nature. Um, That's so wild, then, that, like, you're able to get into that mood. Yeah, I, it, it, it helps me, like, leave my body when I'm working outside. So if I'm really working on something I'm into, I just go somewhere for a couple hours, and then I kind of spiral back. Um, and it's, you know, it's quiet there. It's, it's hard to find quiet in the city, so, like, that helps. Although a good chunk of this book was written this winter, so I a lot of it was just on my couch, honestly. All right, that makes more sense. Yeah, yeah like I used to go, there's like the main library, um, like where Ghostbusters was filmed. Um, they have a huge, huge, beautiful, like, I don't know, 200-foot tall room. Mm-hmm. Uh, but to go there now and have to sit with a mask all day. I was just like, I'd rather just like work from home. Um, so I'm hoping to actually finish a draft of this book this week, but I'm feeling it's going to be next week. Um, cause I only have about four, five chapters left to go. Uh, and I'm ready to finish it. That's really exciting. God, you're a writing machine. I'm a machine. I, I usually, I can write a book in like three months. Um, that's kind of my average for like a quicker book. Um, I have like a literary book that has been in my mind that I'm going to start probably in the fall. I'm going to get myself a little, little minute from it. Um, and it's about a Jewish family in the fifties. Um, and he gets the, the father gets a job, um, at one of the new like Madison Avenue firms, like ad companies, like when that was getting big in the fifties, like ad men kind of, um, and he's the only Jew at the company and 
you know, at first the wife's like, I don't know about this. And he's like, no, you know, progress. It's good. It's good. It's good. And, you know, they'd hear like a, a slight or, you know, made fun of every once in a while or a derogatory term. And he's like, you know, it's all to get us out of Brooklyn, to move up in life and everything. And then he starts noticing subliminal Nazi messaging in the ads. And he's the one that has to like take down this ad agency before they spread this, you know, Nazi propaganda like throughout. Um, but that one is going to take me, I feel like a year to write because there's a lot of research involved. Um, and I want to come up with these ideas. I don't know. I just, that one, there was this really great show was called the plot against America. It was on HBO. Um, and I was watching it like a year ago. Um, and it, it, it's like an alternate history of what if FDR lost and Charles, Lindbergh became president Ooh. and it's like, you know, anti-Jew, um, you know, kind of, um, agenda. Um, and I was like, Oh, that's really horrifying and fascinating at the same time. Um, mm-hmm. and I had finished, um, uh, I, I, I'm Jewish and I never really like explored that in my fiction. And I just finished a book, um, about a family of Jewish bank robbers in the eighties Um, so I was like, oh, I actually like to write more about like my people. And, you know, I had a book about like wasps. I'm like, what am I writing about them for? (laughs) Like, who cares? Like, yeah. So it kind of just came out of that. Um, and I'm really excited about this one. I'm, I have a few titles that I'm debating between. Um, can I, can I get your opinion? Yeah, definitely. Okay. So the original title I like, but I feel like it's a little confusing. It's Madison Avenue altars, like before an altar. But mm-hmm. I feel like the problem with that title is you have to explain it every time. Yeah. And yesterday it was like, ding. And I just said the title subliminal. And I was like, that's kind of cool. Mm-hmm. I like that. Yeah. And then it could go more in like a thriller kind of more than literary, which is more my bag. Um, So, yeah, right now I'm going with subliminal. Yeah, I dig that. I mean, as a publisher, I have one book where we gave it more of a title that was not as to the point, and you have to, like, Mm. keep explaining it. Yeah. Yeah. It it definitely doesn't sell as well. It's hard. And, like, thinking of all my titles, they're always, like, two words or, like, or, you know, like all my titles have always been quite short. Um, I'm thinking Madison Avenue Alters could be like, you know, like it would be like divided in parts. So it'd be like part one. That would be like the title of part one rather than the title of the book. Because I was explaining it to like three people in a row and they were like, what? <laughs> <laughs> Which is never a good thing. And you're like, no, like an altar leg. And they're like, oh, Okay. Yeah, we don't really have a society like that talks about shit like that anymore. Yeah. You like, know, that's not like, like a used word as much. Right, right, right. And where yeah, and then I looked up, I was like, Oh, has anybody ever used subliminal as a title before? Nope. See, that's you got it right there. There was like a nonfiction book about like subliminal messaging, yeah, but that fuck doesn't them. Yeah, it doesn't count at all. No. Nah. And it had like was one of those titles that was like 20 words. It was like subliminal messaging in the 
influx of, you know, blah, blah, blah. So, no. See, now the only thing you risk is if anyone on this podcast lis- listens yeah. to like, oh, my God, that's a great title. Use it. Well, then they have to really, like, get on it, write a book really fast. Mm-hmm. I'm probably faster than them. So I feel like my odds are pretty good. See, now this is just, like, a good race. This is going to urge you. So, yeah, it's a, it's a race to get it done, basically. <laughs> exactly. Um, but, yeah, this one I'm going to need, like, a couple months of, I want to just read about the 50s and research it a little before. See, that sounds fun. I would definitely enjoy writing that book. Yeah, I've always wanted to write. I, I have I have a book coming out in the summer um, that's, like, part of a thriller series, and it takes place in, like, 1970s New York, so, like, that was really fun to explore. Um so I, I see myself in my career, like, taking on different eras of New York and, and writing about it. Like, I'd love to write, like, a turn-of-the-century one, too. And um, I don't know. The history is just so fascinating. I'm almost starting to see you almost as, like, a Stephen King, like, where you're not exactly known for just one genre. That's what I'm hoping for in yeah. life. Um, you know, I don't think I'll ever be him (laughs) but who knows um unless you really start getting into writing like more and develop a coke addiction like he did right right i need i need a a coke addiction for a few years that's not gonna happen um a it'll push those books out (laughs) yeah but the one or two times i tried coke in life it was not for me so it's not yeah you are in new york of course you have (laughs) it's not gonna happen um but yeah no i've always actually modeled my self off of him where like yeah he bounces between genres and he's fast and he writes books and um i'm like that too it's like i i write a book and then i move on from it like i just start a new one and i'm i'm moving in a like a film tv direction right now with a lot of my works um so that that's sort of my new excitement i'm getting a little like annoyed is not the right word with the publishing industry but I'm I'm just a little like tired. Yeah, yeah, tired and like the the money you get versus the work you put in. I feel like is not great. <laughs> oh, um, yeah. Where the other industry has really a lot more potential to like live off of. Um, so that's that's sort of where I'm headed as much as possible right now. And I have two projects that are in a very, very, very early stages of development. Um, so are you going to be able to be the celebrity that I could stalk? Sure. (laughs) Although nobody cares about like a screenwriter. That's no, nobody. So true. It's not stalkable or, uh, you know, potentially I might be like a producer on one, like, Again, like unless you're like Ryan Murphy or Shauna Ryan. Yeah, no, I the the credit I'm getting would be like the eighth producer on. You know, like they give you the title, kind of. That's all it is. Um, But I'll take it. I'll take it. I would. Yeah. 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 No. The in the next couple weeks, I I should hear more about both of these projects. So I'm really hoping that they continue. Um, so that would be awesome. I mean, I would say I don't think that there's a writer I've spoken to who hasn't been gunning for that direction, too. Yeah, I've really kind of like put pedal to metal with it for a while. 
um, like I've adapted most of my books as scripts. So like they're kind of ready to go if there's interest. Um, but even with that, it's, it's quite difficult. Like I can't really say too much, but mm-hmm. there's one project. It's like, even though I'm likely attached, it most likely won't be as a writer on the project, even though I wrote it. Have any of your books been optioned? So that's what's about to happen with two okay. projects. Yeah. Got yeah. it. Um, and I had an option a while back. Um, so this is a newer option for the same project. Um, but yeah, no, they, they both will be optioned. The question is how much am I going to be a part of it? Um, so that's sort of where we're at with them now. Uh, because I'm not enough of a name where I can help in any way, shape or form get that project made. So if it happens, it's, it'll be like as a favor. See, that's still exciting though. Yeah, totally. And I think in both of them, I'll, I'll have at least something where then maybe for the next project I could be more. Yeah. Cause uh, I'll be like, you're the guy that wrote that. Yeah. Or like you were attached as a, you know, producer or something. Um, so as long as I'm something on both of the projects, I'm cool with it. Um, and it looks like that'll be the case. Um, but once it kind of goes out there and like, then other bigger people get involved, you really never know. Um, so like oftentimes in contracts, it's, it's called like favored nations, like best favored nations, reasonable favored nations. And it's kind of like, we'll do as much as we can to include you, but there's no guarantees. And if you do want a guarantee, then the project's not happening. Mm-hmm. So that, that, yeah, that, that was an interesting learning experience. <laughs> like, I feel like I would take the risk at first and be like, yeah, okay, you could do what you want. And then like next go around, if it works out, be like, I, I need the guarantee. Exactly. And I think in my benefit, I have enough titles to do stuff with yeah. where I'm like, whatever they want to do. And, the, the the people so far involved in both of them are phenomenal. Um, so I think everybody just wants to do what's best for it. Um, and that doesn't always mean the best for me, but that's okay. Mm-hmm. Well, I dig it. Now, before we wrap up, do you want to read anything? Uh, sure, yeah. I'll read from from Vanish Me. Um, All right, this is from um, chapter one of Vanish Me, um, and it takes place, this one takes place in 2014. Okay. And like all the books in this series, each chapter is titled with a different grunge song. Um, So this chapter is Nothing Man by Pearl Jam. Uh, 2014. Love. Somewhere in another realm, I think I hear my name. I'm in bed, headphones on, listening to Litz, my own worst enemy. Well, not grunge per se, my true love. I've been working through each year's alternative rock charts, beginning with 1991, and pretty proud of myself that I'm already at 1997. Having a meager social life certainly helps. My dad bursts in the door. Shit, I hadn't locked it. Love. He looks bewildered, classic dad. His long blonde hair now with echoes of gray. A flesh-colored beard that eats up his face. An ugh. Frankie and Caden, my two besties, still call him a dilf because they know it pisses me off. 
Caden has two moms, and Frankie's dad was never in the picture, so there isn't much competition. I was asking what you wanted for dinner, he says, flipping that air out of his eyes, something he does when he's exasperated. Marjorie's joining us. Marjorie, a perfectly harmless woman. Marjorie owns the bakery down the block from Cafe Hay, where my dad likes to hang and occasionally play sets. That's how they met. She was on her lunch break eating a blondie at Cafe Hay. My dad asked if they made good blondies, and she replied she made them herself. He was instantly smitten. So they've been dating about four months, but a family dinner is new territory. Dad dated a lot. I mean, a lot for a dad. I'm sorry. There's like a... You're good. It adds ambiance. It does. I think it's fast. Um, so they've been dating about four months, but family dinner is a new territory. Dad dated a lot. I mean, a lot for a dad, but the women usually never made it past four months. I worry Marjorie's time is about to be up. I was thinking, I don't know. He gives his hair a flip that's pointless because it goes right back in his eyes. Pasta? Do people still eat pasta? I place my sports walkman to the side. This conversation would stretch a little longer. And yes, I have a sports walkman. It's my treasure. It's yellow and huge and plays all my favorite mixtapes. Fuck Spotify and Pandora and any other streaming service. I don't even have a smartphone. I live like the cave people did, or at least how people in the 90s did. I have a budget flip phone like a drug dealer, only for emergencies, and have never participated on social media. Spoiler, no one gives a donkey's balls about every little thing you do all day. Frankie and Caden feel the same, and we've dubbed our crew 9021 whole after our two fave 90s cultural touchstones. 90210, and I mean, I was named after Hole's lead singer. No one eats pasta anymore, I say. At least not gluten pasta. Do you have quinoa? Every time I make it, it comes out clumpy. I slide out of bed. I'll do it. Remind me, Marjorie's allergic to mushrooms? Right, she'll die. So, extra shiitake? I hop downstairs on our rickety steps. Honestly, the whole house is in disrepair and likely haunted, but I love that it's decrepit. It was the first house my parents lived in a thousand years ago when they were still in love and made an album that's pretty rocking and awesome, and it makes you want to sway with your lighter. Mom, well, she peaced out when I was just a squirt and returned only in fits and spurts. Sometimes I hear of her traipsing around in France, and once in a blue moon I'll get a postcard. She's a weird loopy penmanship, and not to sound like a sap, but I keep everything she sends. When she comes to town, it's only to see me. It's not that she hates Dad, far from it. She's afraid he never got over her, and that's the truth. In the middle of the night, I've heard him on the porch strumming the way that young lovers do, his voice wavering, which lets me know he's been crying. I've heard you never get over your first love, but I wouldn't know because at 16, the most I've done is kissed a boy. He attacked me with his slobbery tongue, so I'm not rushing for that to happen again. I catch myself in the mirror on the way downstairs. My blonde hair kept perfectly messy, a plaid flannel shirt, dark martens, a face like the cutest chipmunk you've ever known. I'm the spitting image of my mom at that age. I've seen pictures of her, and it's given me goosebumps. I know it's hard for my dad to see me at times, but, like, this is who I am. You can psychoanalyze me all you want and trust. I've been through that. I know I retreat to the 90s to find some closeness with my mom since she's not around, but it makes me happy. I was literally born in the wrong century. There's nothing I could do about it but bathe in nostalgia. In the kitchen, I get out the quinoa, start to boil the water, cut up tomatoes and zucchini that I roast with coconut oil. Dad comes down in his tucked-in checkered shirt and uncool tie. He must have had class earlier today. He teaches music theory over at the University of Oregon and has invited his students over for jam sessions before. They get stars in their eyes because he once was famous and all the young ladies swoon. I want to barf. 
How school he asks, doing this check-in once a week or so. I take out a block of Parmesan cheese to cut up the quinoa. Crappy. You always say that. Then maybe stop asking. We're silent, and then I laugh to show I'm just joking. As dads go, he's a pretty great one. And look, he raised me as a single parent and treats me like I'm the second coming of Christ. So I can't really give him too much shit. He swipes some OJ from the fridge and takes a sip. Maybe if you join some clubs. Gross, dad. I slam a cup on the counter. Put it in a glass. And did you join any clubs in school? Well, no. You got stoned and played guitar in your room. Full stop. I was in a band before grenade bouquets. I stop. Those words verboten. He gives me a lingering look. Yeah, we were called the Dead Skies. The Dead Skies? I mime retching. The lead singer Duke and I fought over a girl and that ended our reign. Probably for the best. The water boils and I toss in the quinoa. Wait for the little orbs to grow plump. We both are vegetarians, so meat has never graced our fridge. What time is Marjorie coming, I ask. He looks at his dorky Cassia watch. Shit, I need to shower. Yeah, tell me about it. Funny, he says, kissing me on the top of my head. I pretend like I'm grossed out, but really, it's sweet. Thank you for making dinner. My pleasure. Anything to keep Marjorie around. He stops at the foot of the stairs, cocks his head. I didn't realize you liked her that much. I don't, but I like you with her, so... Just working my magic like I do. He chews on the side of his cheek. I don't deserve you, do I? Nope. So, maybe an increase in my allowance? I bat my eyes. Capitalist, he says, swinging up the stairs. The quinoa has turned plump, so I strain out the water before it gets too clumpy. Upstairs, I hear him singing Nothing Man in our shower. Nothing Man, he sings. Fuck shit damn, as I could tell the water pressure is turning from hot to cold. A jolt I know all too well. Thank you. I really like it. Oh, thanks. I don't know. There's there's some pretty funny parts of that. <laughs> it's a little more lighthearted than the first two books, I would say. Yeah. Yeah. I, I actually feel like I related to that actually a bit more. <laughs> yeah. And the character, like, she's a lot like Nico in the first two books. You know, I love Nico, but like, she's not the easiest person to love. You know, she's mired in her feelings and love is a lighter character even though her mom's missing and she's dealing with that um yeah i i think the book is like a little bit of a happier book oh dig it i would be like snapping shouts out though instead mm-hmm. we're, we're we're adults here we don't snap yeah 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 but if you need to snap away yeah audience you could snap that's all right we go for judge. it audience go for it <laughs> Okay, is there anything else you want to plug before we go? Um, so, yeah, in the the summer, I have a new thriller series coming out um, called the Desire Card Series, um, and it'll actually be five books, and they'll be released once a month. So starting in June, uh, the first one, Immoral Origins, comes out. Um, and if you like gritty kind of noir, um, those are those books. I dig it. That's really exciting. Yeah, yeah, they should be cool. I, they originally were with a, a publisher that was crap and never paid me, and we got the rights back, and now they're with a new publisher coming out. So all good. What's up? That's lit. Yeah. And I would say that publisher's name, but I'm classier than that. Yeah, I got to stay classy. I'm classy. Ooh, I forgot a question to ask you. And yeah, then go for it. That'll be like the last question I ask you. Okay. You like David Lynch, obviously. Love him. Yep. Are you familiar with his album Crazy Clown Time? 
I've heard of it, but I have not heard it. Okay. I will ask your opinion of it later then. Okay. I will, I will listen to it. Okay. Because I am always up for anything, David. He's my favorite of all people. He's my icon. I love him. He's He's my my, icon. Yeah. He's my MVP. Gotta love him. He's he's definitely my MVP, and um, I hope he lives to 120. Oh, he definitely will somehow through cherry pie and black coffee and natural American spirits. Yeah, and like, um, you know, transcendental meditation. Uh, All the way, and constantly giving us his weather reports. (laughs) Right, right, right. Um, All right, cool. I have something to check out. Well, have a good one. You too, and thanks so much for having me again, Mallory. It's always a blast. All right, that was Lee Matthew Goldberg. Support him by buying his books and checking out other works of his on his website, LeeMatthewGoldberg.com, and take a look at his Twitter, at LeeMatthewG. As always, if you want to get to know us more, find Textual Healing on Twitter, at PodHealing, and take a look at our website, TextualPodcast.com. Support the show by checking out our merch and leaving ratings on Apple Podcasts or subscribing on Spotify. We are available on almost every podcast platform available, so, you know, you're not limited. Check out past episodes and keep a lookout for the new ones to come every other Saturday. Thanks for listening and keep textual healing. <laughs>